Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Review. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by this man today. We've had a lot of black belts at the cannabis industry on the show so far, CEOs, chairmen, executive directors, but this man is one of the few senseis of the industry and the world, and I'm delighted to have him on with me. It's Andrew D'Angelo. How are you keeping, Andrew? You well? I am well, Owen. Thank you. Nice to be with you today. I'm delighted to be with you. For those of you who don't know Andrew, there's the very few. He's the co-founder of Harborside, co-founder of the Californian Cannabis Industry Association, and most importantly, co-founder of the Last Prisoner Project. And he's a strategic advisor to a, a ton of the top blue chip companies in the cannabis industry. And I actually found out on my research with you, I didn't notice that it's pretty impressive. I need to tell everybody he's pioneered CBD medicines for to heal severely epileptic children, implemented the first lab testing program in cannabis dispensaries, created child-resistant packaging for edibles, standardized invent inventory tracking, and initiated senior outreach. So again, a man with a, a wealth of knowledge that I'm delighted to have on the show. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And yeah, we had to build, when we first started our dispensary in 06, none of those things had been done before. Inventory tracking, lab testing, senior outreach, cannabis medicine for children, all of that was, had never been done before. So we had to invent it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, as I said, it's great when you, when you look at something that you consider so basic and, and simple to the industry, you, you kind of forget the people who've led the way in creating the thing. So I'm going to jump into the first topic and it's the Harborside model. When you guys created Harborside, I know there's going to be an influx of uh, dispensaries created in Europe over the next five to 10 years. What are the one or two pillars that you would highlight of the Harborside model that uh, are, are paramount to the company that you couldn't do without? Well, there are three things I want everybody to focus on when they're talking about creating their dispensaries in Europe or anywhere in the world. Number one, pay attention to the plant, the plant itself and the products itself. You wanna make sure you have an excellent selection of the finest products available. And you also wanna make sure that there's products available that are affordable for people who are poor or working class and don't have a lot of money. This is a medicine that's been the working class and the poor medicine for many thousands of years. And in fact, even aristocratic medicine for many thousands of years. And we're bringing this out of the shadows and into the light. So pay attention to the plant. The other thing I want you to pay attention to that we did at Harborside was the customer. So the consumer is kind of being left behind right now. If you take a close look at what's happening in Canada and America, the consumer is being left behind because we're over-regulating and over-taxing cannabis. And you're probably going to have that problem in Europe, at least in the beginning. There'll be too much regulation. And what happens is the price of cannabis goes up. So it's hard on the consumer. So it's very important that we're nice to the consumer, that we educate the consumer about cannabis products, that we create a space that is welcoming uh, for all walks of life. Uh, and then the third thing I think is important to pay attention to is your staff and your team. Uh, we worked very hard to create, to create an inclusive, diverse culture. We started off in Oakland, California, which is right across the bay from San Francisco. This is one of the most diverse communities in the world. So we had to make sure our staff was diverse. And we had to make sure that we were paying attention to how people work together. And we had to create a culture, a company culture that focused on those two things I just talked about, the plant itself uh, and 
uh, the 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 um, the plant itself, and of course um, the team, and of course the customer. So um, our culture was about respecting the plant, respecting uh, the customer, and being good to each other, um, because it's hard work in uh, selling cannabis in a dispensary. There's it's new. Society has a lot of fear with that. And so it's important that when we work together, we're treating each other with kindness and compassion, and we're trying to set a culture in the cannabis industry that's not as brutally transactional as we're seeing in corporate culture and other industries. Yeah, no, what I totally agree. I think that separation from corporate greed into uh, a one plan for all people is something that everybody should be looking at. The next thing that moves kind of swiftly into the next topic for us is enacting social change. What are the tips that you'd give to some of the activists and some of the people trying to uh, uh, attempt this process? Well, I'm thrilled to see so much activism sort of rising in Europe now. For a long time, there just wasn't enough activism happening in Europe. Street, grassroots activism I'm talking about. And, you know, here in America, our tradition with that is maybe a little bit different than it is in Europe. But I know Europe has a very long, maybe much longer tradition, of course, than America in terms of resisting dominant culture, resisting authority and making sure that justice is served when it comes to the cannabis plant. The most effective thing we did in the United States for activism was we stopped pointing the camera at the activist and we started pointing the camera at the patients. And once we started pointing the camera at the patients and the kids with epilepsy and people suffering, which I think you're beginning to do that tactic in Europe, but I really encourage that. The stars of cannabis are our patients. They are the people that are suffering and that is the fastest way to enact change because people don't change through the head. You can make all the rational arguments about cannabis you want to. Of course, they're right, but it doesn't move people. What moves people is the heart. And so when we tell stories that move people in the heart about how good this plant is, that's when we change minds. And that's when even the political class and the elites that make those decisions, they, believe it or not, they actually have hearts too. <laughs> and um, we can move them as well. And, and once you know enough people are moved emotionally, that's when we can start getting the politicians to listen and enact laws for us. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. We had a, a guest on from New Zealand who owns one of the big companies over there listed on the stock exchange. Mm. And they recently hadn't uh, passed their legislation for uh, legalizing cannabis. And he told me that it was because religious money had come into New Zealand and they had been doing the car crash and this one guy killed five people 10 years ago. And it, that, that kind of blunt trauma promotion, whereas these guys just focused on education and the plant is good, whereas I think Europe needs to stand up and realize that the other side are going to promote the most negative possible side of cannabis they can. So we want to promote the most positive side, which again is helping patients, changing people's lives, allowing them not to suffer through seizures and whatnot. And I think that needs to be the, the marketing and advertising campaign that goes across Europe. I couldn't agree with you more. Look, the, the, our, the prohibitionists are going to tell their stories too. 
and they're going to try to hit people in the heart just like we are. And so when you, you hear a story about people dying in a car accident and they blame it on weed or, or whatever it might be like that, those are stories too. And we're going to have to tell our stories and let the people decide who's telling the truth and who's not. Can you hear me? Oh, you're frozen, Owen. Okay, I'm sorry I didn't hear that last question. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Um, what I'm gonna do is move on to our third topic. And again, it's something that I know there's a huge amount of people in Ireland alone trying to get through to the, the various ministers and they're being completely ignored. The Twitter is pretty funny with the poor politicians' timelines are getting bombarded by hundreds of people. And the Irish population in itself is a, a rebellious country. So I, I feel sorry for the politicians over the next coming years, what's going to come at them if they don't legalize this plan pretty quickly. What are a couple of tips that you'd give to some of the leading activists that uh, how they get political engagement? Because it's one thing, this being a business show, you can get pretty good access to politicians when you're coming at them from a business perspective and a jobs creation perspective. So what would be the other avenues that you pursue or you'd advise people to pursue in terms of getting political engagement? No, that's a very good point. I probably shouldn't mention that when we were talking about activism a moment ago. Yes, it is important that we tell the stories of, of patients and we put people through uh, we hit people in the heart. But the other thing that we have to talk about is just the tremendous economic potential of cannabis. And if that is what is going to move decision makers and people in power, perhaps more than than sick people, well, then use that. And, you know, in Ireland, you have a wonderful tradition of raising hell and, and being rebellious. You're going to have to keep raising hell and being rebellious uh, with this issue until you hit a tipping point. That's what we're that's what we had to do in the United States. But here in the United States, with legalization, more jobs are being created in the cannabis industry than any, under, any other industry right now. We have more people employed than the coal industry has employed. We have more people in the cannabis, more workers in cannabis than we do electrical engineers. And there are, I think, something like a quarter million people employed in cannabis. And these are good jobs, folks. These are jobs that pay more than the minimum wage. These are jobs that have full health care benefits. In America, you have to buy your own health care. Crazy. But um, the employers in the cannabis industry help with that. And retirement benefits also um, come with employment in the cannabis industry. If you want good paying jobs in Ireland, you've got to legalize this plant not just for medicine, but you farm beautiful in Ireland. You have a microclimate that is excellent for industrial hemp. And anything that's made out of cotton, anything that's made out of timber, anything that's made out of petroleum, basically can be made out of hemp and other plants. And that's what I would encourage people to argue in Ireland if the if the compassionate argument's not working so good, the economic uh, 
um, argument can work very well. And maybe you need to put some poor people in front of the camera that, that or maybe you need to um, come to America and film all the economic activity here and interview some of the people whose lives have been changed, who used to work at Amazon in a terrible warehouse. Now they work in a job that has meaning for them where they help people that are sick and they spread this medicine and they spread this goodness and they feel really good about their jobs. Well, when people feel good about their jobs, what do they do? They go out to eat. They take better care of their families. They buy nicer clothes. They buy nicer automobiles. They build up their life and they create even more economic activity. So the economics of cannabis, this is not a new billion dollar industry, folks. This is a trillion dollar industry. And to make it illegal and to turn your back on that is, is beyond irresponsible. You're robbing the people of their birthright. And it's simply unacceptable for any politician to do that anywhere. The wind is at our backs. Ireland, the wind is at your backs, even if it doesn't feel like it. You have a whole global community of people like me that are cheering you on and ready to help at any moment's notice. The day will come for Ireland and it will be a good day. Well, there you go now, everybody. Isn't that a positive note? We actually couldn't agree with you more. We see Ireland being the base for Europe for a lot of North American companies. We've got a, a, a good tax rate, corporate tax rate. We've got a highly skilled young workforce. As you mentioned, some of the best farmers in the world already over here. So for us to be able to flip in to make a, the the premium cannabis brand we're never going to be the mass producer like a columbia but we can make the guinness and we can make the kerrygold and we can make that global product that everybody wants to buy while at the same time selling services to the larger companies who are trying to position in, in europe so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you mate i could literally talk to you all day but we have the 15 minute rule if anybody wants to follow Andrew, if you're not doing it already, you should be your city person not to. His Twitter is Andrew underscore to Angelo. Get him on LinkedIn. Get him on Instagram. Um, you're an absolute gentleman for coming on. I know you're such a busy man. I can't thank you enough, and I hope to get to chat to you again towards the end of the year, and we've got some positive news coming out of Ireland. Please do. I'd love to appear again, and hopefully I'll get to come to Ireland and be with all the cannabis people there. Oh, mate, if you come to Ireland, we will roll out the red carpet and have you the freshest roll blaze that you could possibly have. So, Looking forward to that day. Excellent. Great. Thank you very much, everybody, and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.